word, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 21 through 26 this morning. Actually, I'm going to begin back at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Be seated. This morning, we're looking, sort of launching off of verse 21. Paul's words, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're looking at the idea that Paul promotes of living in between heaven and earth. Living in between heaven and earth. C.S. Lewis, many of you have heard of him. He is um, a scholar, an English uh, scholar, and sort of a, through an English genre, a theologian of sorts. Um, and he wrote the volumes, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity. Very profound in his, even though he's gone at this time, I mean, he's gone and dead, but his books remain with us, and it's because he's profound and people continue to read him. Well, one thing he said that struck me is, if you read history, these are Lewis's words, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought mostly of the next. Think about that. People who are heavenly-minded and think about the afterlife as Christians are the ones that are getting it done here on earth. It sort of doesn't jive with the old adage, you know, they're so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. It's actually the heavenly-mindedness that Christians have as a privilege that fuels the Christian life here on earth. It's kind of the concept of living in between. For non-believers, they don't have this capacity to hope in heaven or for Christ in this way. The, the death or the afterlife is either something that's man-made religion, fairy tale, or something that's completely dark or neutral. It's something that people can't fully grasp and oftentimes fear very much because it's the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen when the lights turn off. Philosophers have tried to deal with this, one of whom is Francis Bacon from the 1500s, an English philosopher. He said, quote, men fear death as children fear the dark. Uh, Samuel Johnson is another sort of English 
philosopher and scholar. He was from the 1700s, and he testified of how gruesome and awful it was for him to watch his friend die, sort of without faith, without the Christian privilege of what's going on beyond this. It was just horrifying. And he said, quote, At the sight of this last conflict, I felt a sensation never known to me before, a confusion of passions, an awful stillness of sorrow, a gloomy terror without name. For believers, we have a different advantage than non-believers because we can look into the Scripture and it shows us glimpses of what heaven is like. like. And in very specific detail at points, you can see the new heavens and the new earth through the book of Revelation and through Paul's testimony and Peter's and what Jesus speaks of in John 14 and other places. Heaven for us is a place of peace, a place of serenity. It's a place where we anticipate meeting those that we love who've already gone there. Something very special that we have as a promise that no one else has. It's not something that we hold out as some special privilege that we deserve. It's just what we're given as a gift. We have hope because we're believers. We also hope that we hope in the transparent face-to-face relationship and fellowship we'll have with Jesus. It's unhindered. It's special. It's perfect. We'll have fellowship with the saints like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esther, Ruth, Mary, I mean, we'll, we'll be eating meals with these people and there will be time to get around all of them because we're there forever. So heaven for us is something that we're hoping in and we, we know about and we believe in. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, this day, today, you will be with me in paradise. There's not sort of an interim soul sleep. It's immediate face-to-face with the Lord. Well, I think sometimes as Christians, we get so busy and hung up, I know I do, in our daily routines that we forget to apply the hope of heaven in our daily routines. We forget it. We, we sort of postpone that hope and that exuberant, joy-filled desire to be in heaven. We postpone that for the deathbed scenario for the funeral where we're grieving over lost loved ones. We postpone it um, for the perhaps rare opportunity to be a martyr for the faith, you know, to think that you're going to die. And so then you begin to grasp and grapple with heaven's joys. We sort of, you know, relegate that to those special circumstances instead of allowing heaven in our minds to come down to earth into our daily lives what it means to live in between two worlds well let's look at our text I want to show you how Paul lived between two worlds this is sort of uh, tapping into the secret of Paul's joy the secret of Paul's joy verse 21 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain I think sometimes we misinterpret that theme verse it's a theme of this section everything is sort of filling out those words and concepts and we misrepresent that by thinking you know Paul here was a single guy he was uh, probably going to be a martyr for the faith he's going to meet with Caesar he's going to the highest court of the land where he could die he's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours kind of uncomfortable of course death is gain for him of course it is of course Leaving this situation is good for him. He's not leaving a wife. He's not leaving kids. I mean, it's good. That, you know, makes sense for him. 
It's a little different for me, right? Well, that's misunderstanding. If you understand the text that way, it's misunderstanding Paul and his testimony and what he's doing here. Paul is saying that he's very happy now. And he's, watch this, competitively happy with now compared to the future, being with Christ. There's a rival that's going on in his heart. To live is Christ. There's Jesus in my life now versus perfect, better Jesus fellowship with Christ there then. So he's living between two worlds and he's well satisfied on either side of the thin veil between heaven and earth. It's not, wow, you know, I'm so down, I'm so depressed, I'm so despairing, just lop my head off, get it over with, and I want to get out of here. Let's shrink wrap this world and send it away. I want to go be there. That's not Paul's mindset. That's not a helpful mindset in the Christian life. The Christian is to say, listen, I, no matter what my circumstances are, that's Paul in Philippians 4, too, he's well-contented, he's whole, he's, he's filled up in his soul um, in any circumstance. No matter what my circumstances are, because I've got the mind of Christ and I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, I've got the best life that I possibly could have. Whether in jail, whether I'm working through something really hard, no matter what, I have a filled life in Jesus in my relationship now, and I only anticipate that I have something that's the best that can improve and get better when I'm face-to-face with Jesus then or there with him. That's the mindset. That's where Paul is trying to get the church to. He's very transparent here. He's at the zenith of transparency, just opening his heart, saying, look, I'm going to talk out loud in terms of my own heart for you, the church, so that you can gain this mindset of living between two worlds. You see? This is Paul's heart on display. He's disclosing his innermost thoughts, talking in hypotheticals, being here or there. I'm, I'm struggling out loud for you to teach you how to live in between two worlds. Living between two worlds isn't it's not putting one foot in heaven and one foot on, foot on earth and sort of toggling back between the two. Okay, I'm in a church mode, now I'm in the world mode. No, it's a blending together. Um, the, you know, the monks that would go out into monasteries, they were trying to get heaven on earth through isolation. This isn't that. This is eyes on heaven, like, like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, going through hill difficulty and giant despair and, and doubting castle, going through these trials where your, your eyes are on the celestial city, but your feet are firmly planted on the path all at the same time. That's Christian joy. Figuring this out, it's hard work to get there. I'm not going to say that, you know, we're just waving our hand across the congregation and saying, okay, we got it. We heard this sermon and we get it. This takes hard spiritual work to live this way and to think this way, but this is the goal. Uh, James Boyce, uh, former pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, said, death is portrayed as an improvement on the best. Paul's not looking for a speedy release, but a superior version of, having a relationship with Christ, improving on what he already has. I was impressed by a book I read, sort of as we get into the outline, um, a book I read this week, it was, it's written by Stephen Nichols, and he is talking about recapturing a vision of Jonathan Edwards having heaven on earth or living in between. It's a great book, and this is really um, 
a theology that Jonathan Edwards promoted. And before I promote Jonathan Edwards in that way, because you're saying, wow, it's my goal to like look like the pictures of Jonathan Edwards that I've seen, you know, these dour, stoic, you know, sort of visages, you know, these wood carvings, like I'm really happy, you know. Well, you know, they couldn't hold a smile. That's why they had to paint him that way, I'm sure. But if you were to learn about Edwards, he wasn't just the, you know, fire-breathing preacher of sinners in the hands of an angry God, but he was a father of probably 10 or 13 children and uh, a big-time family man. Um, he wasn't as relational to his church, but he loved his family and, and loved the Word of God and, and ministered faithfully, not only to his church in Northampton, but also to the Mohawk and Mohican Indians. Um, he went out as a missionary um, to Stockbridge, where I've visited before, and um, you know, ministered the Word of God to them with full heart and passion as he did to you know, whether he was, you know, president of Princeton or, or in his church in Northampton, I mean, he was all in wherever he was. But it was because he lived between two worlds. All right, two disciplines, two disciplines to tap in to this secret of joy. First of all, living between two worlds. Let me just sort of um, highlight an idea from verse 21. To live is Christ and not to die is gain. We're really talking in that verse about two worlds. You're talking about living as Christ, or is Christ, here on earth, and then having gain in heaven. The Bible, just to expand this, talks about three worlds. Three worlds. Think about it. There's heaven, that's eternal. There's earth, and that's temporal. You know, I mean, it'll burn up, and there'll be the new heavens and the new earth, but it's a temporal state right now. And then there's hell. So you got three Two eternal, one temporal. Uh, heaven is eternal joy and bliss and fellowship and worship and love, unhindered love. Earth is a admixture of joys and pains, right? You have goodnesses and great things that happen and the glory of God here. It's, just, it's our Father's world. And then it's also cursed by sin. And then you have hell, which is eternal damnation, the wrath of God is on that place, and it's a place of anger and hate eternally. And I just want to make this point. Um, you are attached as eternal beings. You know, you're going to live forever. I mean, once you were created, you're an eternal soul. You're not just, you're not an animal. Um, as eternal beings, you're going to exist in one eternal world or the other forever. And in the meantime, you exist on earth. And so you're attached to two of the three worlds right now. You got that? I mean, you're on earth and you are, uh, the wide road uh, is for unbelievers. As an unbeliever, you're attached to earth and the admixture of joy and pain temporarily. And then you're headed to and attached to spiritually hell. Romans 1 says that all unbelievers are under the wrath of God. You're on the wide road that day by day, incrementally, is advancing you towards a settled state in eternal hate, wrath, judgment, and pain. So that's the two worlds that most people live in. And people candy coat that. They try to forget about that. They try to escape it. They do anything they can do to forget about the, that two-world reality. But it's real. And then there are those who are believers the church on the narrow road that are attached to earth and eternal love and eternal life in heaven. Jesus said in John 21, 
this is eternal life, to know me. Eternal life starts now, and so we are called to grab hold of, as Christians, eternity now, living between two worlds. Now, whichever two worlds you live in will determine or should determine how you feel about yourself right now. If your two worlds are earth and hell, you should feel pretty sobered by that reality, fearful, dreadful. There should be dread in your heart. You should be under a a, a shock of warning where you're saying, wow, I need to do something about this situation. How can I get in the two worlds that are earth and heaven? What can I do to change my spiritual condition? Ultimately, the answer is nothing. It's, It's throwing yourself upon the grace of God, and he changes your eternal destination. Repentance. But on the other hand, by contrast, if the two worlds that you are in are earth and heaven, shouldn't that, by contrast, radically change the way you feel about yourself and your life and your state of soul? You're you're progressing incrementally, day by day, towards eternal perfection. When I say perfection, I do mean perfection, but not just a state of neutral perfection, a state of endless joy. You are headed to the pre-fall Eden state that is parallel to Revelation 21, 1 through 4, you know, where you, you drink and eat of the bounty of perfect food, perfect water, perfect environment, you know, perfect foliage, perfect beauty, perfect streams, perfect joy, perfect creatures all around you, and Jesus Christ himself. You're, you're, you're filled up in a way that is unhindered hindered, and untainted with sin. I mean, just think of your best zenith moments of joy, the stabs of joy that you've experienced here and there in this world, and multiply that times eternity forever and, you know, a million, zillion times better. Just this heart being filled up with joy always, ongoingly, bliss, bliss, bliss fellowship with the Lord and with people forever. Um, If you're headed that way, you're filled with humble gratitude right now and going, wow, I can rejoice. And that was Paul. Paul was in house arrest, chained up, filled up, so full that he's comparing the future fellowship with what he's enjoying now. And there's a competition going on with which he likes better. Kind of interesting. He knew what he was talking about. Acts chapter 8, he saw the Lord face to face as the Lord confronted him on the road to Damascus, right? Christian killer, why are you persecuting me? He saw the Lord. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, he doesn't know whether or not that was a vision or not. doesn't matter. He was sort of enraptured up to the third heaven. And it was so beautiful and glorious and untouchable, he couldn't even put it into words what he saw or experienced. It was too holy for him to even try. So he knew. He had, talk about taste and see that God is good. He had tasted God. So for fellowship on earth, for for heaven in his heart and mind to come down and translate into his daily life on earth, and for that to compete with what he knew he would have forever, that's an amazing way to live as a Christian. But we all need to live that way. It's the only, that mindset is the only mindset that can 
battle through trials, battle through discouragement, battle through depression, battle through guilt, battle through despair, battle through hopelessness. That's the only kind of mindset that will get you involved in other people's lives, serving a kingdom that's not of this world. That kind of mindset where your mindset is heaven, but it comes down and translates into your life day to day on earth. That's to live in between two worlds. It's to have dual citizenship. Look over quickly to Philippians 3. He talks about this. He's talking to Romans uh, or to, to people in Philippi and Macedonia who were part of the Roman Empire who were there, but they looked back to Rome saying, wow, okay, I'm a citizen of the Roman Empire that's expanding around the world. And so Paul says in the same way, you have a heavenly citizenship. Where you can, it's like being, uh, you know, a Roman citizen in Macedonia who's enjoying Roman manners, customs, architecture, language, life in Macedonia and being connected with the Roman Empire all at the same time. That same mindset is reflected here where he's saying, look, you're not, you know, in the capital city yet, you're not in heaven yet, but you're a citizen and you should enjoy heaven in that same way. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're, we're part of the kingdom now, here. We might be in a city-state. You know, we might be, have some distance from the, the immediate central city of the Roman Empire, Rome. But we're not, we're not disconnected. We are enjoying heaven citizenship now if we're living between two worlds. If we have the heaven and earth connection rather than the earth and hell connection. The earth and hell connection is verse 19 of chapter 3. It talks about false teachers. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. I don't want to open this up too much because we'll get there. But this is how the world is. It's not just the worst of the world. This is a description of unbelievers. Their minds are set on earthly things, right? They love this world. Their, their God is their belly. That's just idolatry. You say, I'm not an idolater. Well, we all are saved from idolatry, and we still idolize ourselves from time to time, right? Every day. I've heard one preacher say it this way, that you say you don't worship idols, but, you know, you were looking at your idol in the mirror this morning. I mean, we, we worship ourselves. We worship our comforts and our joys. And whenever we're willing to sinfully pursue ways to satisfy our hearts, that's idolatry. Whenever you sin to get your heart satisfied, that's bowing down to yourself as an idol and whenever people would make idols it was just their own pride and their own way to try to play God to get what they wanted they weren't really worshiping stones and wood they were worshiping a, a, a way that they could try to manipulate the universe on their behalf that's idolatry it's what people do they manipulate their worlds with cheap substitutes for God instead of worshiping the true God their God is their belly so and this kind of dual citizenship is the way to be. You know, a good example of someone in the Old Testament that had a dual citizenship going on, lived between two worlds, is Enoch. Very little is written about him, but what is written about him is what we want written about our lives. What did Enoch do? Well, he walked with God, and then he was not. I mean, something like that. I mean, it's just very, very 
seamless transition. What happened to Enoch? Well, he was with God, and then he was with God. Okay? That's what we want. We want to be so walking in the Spirit of God, with our God, that it's as if it's a seamless transition from what we're doing here to what we'll do there. It's Adam and Eve. They walked with, I think, the prefigured Christ in the Garden of Eden before the fall in the cool of the day. It's what we should experience here now on this side of the thin veil. Well, he, Paul gets more practical. Um, we'll look through these verses quickly. Verse 22 Um, How do we live between two worlds practically? Well, you plant your feet firmly on the earth. You got to embrace now. Don't just live for, you know, the shrink-wrapped world that's going to be, you know, all just burned up, put together, and disposed of. You know, get me out of here. You can't have a get me out of here mindset. You've got to walk with God and embrace your situation. Look at verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Flesh here is uh, the word sarx. It's not soma. He's not just talking about his physical body. And he's not not talking about his, his sin that he fights against in the flesh. He's talking more specifically about his circumstances. He's saying, look, yeah, my body is chained to a Roman guard and I'm going to trial and I'm in this precarious situation, a rent home where I'm under house arrest. And if... I continue this situation that I'm embracing, guess what's going to happen? Fruitful labor. I'm I'm working for the sake of Christ, and there's going to be fruit born. We've got to think that way. You've got to think, okay, I'm in Anchorage, Alaska for a purpose. The Lord has me here. Uh, You know, you might have some rough situations, some hills you have to climb right now. But what does that mean in a two-world mindset where it's fruitful labor? Negatively, if you don't think that way as a believer, it's easy to want it all just to end. And it's, it's like, look, if this world's, you know, burning up anyway, just let it burn. Shakespeare's Hamlet put it this way. Quote, let bodies melt, thaw, and resolve themselves into a dew. <laughs> just let it all just melt away. It's a sinking brass ship that where I don't want to shine the brass anymore. It's just going down. Is that really the way to think? You know, we don't know when this world will end. But we do know that we can sow seed now in people's hearts and in people's lives that could bear fruit for millennia as the faith is passed down from one generation to another. Um, One person um, who's a poet from Kentucky, Wendell Berry, he put it this way. He said, plant sequoias. I want to sort of baptize that, um, spiritualize it. We need to sow seed and expect sequoias to grow. Not necessarily in our lifetime. We won't see like sequoia growth in one generation, but it's a multi-generational investment that plays out for long term. Uh, sequoias, as you know, in California and Oregon and other places, it, it, they're, they're massive. They're monstrosities. They're huge. I remember being a little five-year-old going inside a sequoia. It's like going into a small little house, a little room where it had been sort of burrowed out. And they're just... Massive testimonies of of when you sow something so small as a seed, over long periods of time, something can grow great big that you won't even see the effects of in your lifetime. We enjoy sequoias that began hundreds and hundreds of years before. 
So that's our mindset for fruitful labor. And I want to emphasize the word labor here. That's the word ergon, it's work. (laughs) Uh, Christianity isn't just easy. It's not something that you're not going to sacrifice to get into. You say, I can't go to a community group right now. I can't be involved in this. I can't give sacrificially at this point. I can't embarrass myself to meet that person again. I can't ask to pray with that person. I can't be prayed for because I would expose myself. It's hard to do two-world living. It's hard to live in between. But thinking heaven and bringing that kind of mindset to earth calls for this kind of labor. It's hard. This mindset won't happen overnight, but it is the blessed way to think. So you work within your limitations, your circumstances, and secondly, your feet are firmly planned on earth as you serve others expectantly. I just want to emphasize this. I mean, again, Paul is competing between this world and the next, and he's saying, listen, look again at verse 22. He says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He is perplexed in his heart. He's fighting. I don't know which one I want. Why? Because he's a people person. You say, I'm not a people person. I'm recluse. I, you know, I... Maybe, maybe some of you came here to get away from people. I don't know. I mean, I, but to be a Christian, guess what? To be a Christian is to be a people person. Introvert or extrovert, the Holy Spirit gets you there if you allow him to. You're supposed to have a heart for other people. And I'll just say this. Um, you know, my kids aren't in the service right now, so it, it's, it's not an embarrassing thing for them, but Six kids, I mean, sometimes I'm not a people person, right? I mean, get me out of here. But I'm called as a father to care about them spiritually and engage. And it takes a heaven-sent mindset to get there, to want to be there, to want to go there about spiritual things, to be heaven on earth to them. It's very important. Well, You have to first get a heaven mindset, heavenly mindset. Look at verse 23. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. In other words, I'm walking between two rock walls that are narrowing, and I'm I'm really battling back and forth between which to choose. He's talking in hypothetics. He can't choose his fate, ultimately. He's a prisoner. We know that. But at the same time, he's talking himself clear because he really kind of wants to go, but he's also filled with joy to stay. And so he's, he's sort of uh, pressed in and torn between two options. But he's trying to desire heaven. He's working hard to do that. Jonathan Edwards said that it's important in terms of thinking about heaven, it's important for you to use your imagination. To, to, to use your spiritual sanctified imagination, as the Puritans put it, and to grasp what heaven's like. And that's what ushers you into an in-between mindset and lifestyle. Um, but Edwards also said, use your imagination, but remember that heaven's not imaginary. Heaven's real. We talked about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, they would talk together. They had this club called the Inklings, and they would write literature that, that would be perennial. And, and uh, you know, Tolkien uh, was, asking, 
was asking C.S. Lewis about the characters and the fictional stories and sort of the miraculous events that they would write about. And, and one time, sort of in a skeptical moment, Tolkien said, what's the difference between these miracles and these events and the events found in the Bible? And C.S. Lewis, by, I think, Christian faith, looked at Tolkien and said, the difference is, is that the miracles and characters in this story are true and real. Heaven's real. I mean, uh, when Edwards, I, wrote, I read a, uh, a bridge sermon of, uh, on heaven by Edwards this week, and Edwards was talking about heaven in a way that helped me get there from here. I started talking about, from 1 Corinthians 13, how heaven is a world of love, how it's unhindered, blissful joy in relationships with people for all of eternity. One idea was that in heaven, we're so freely satisfied and loving each other. He sort of based it on 1 Corinthians 13 and, you know, how love will never end. How the greatest of these, you know, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And how heaven is filled with love. He said, we're, we're so intimately involved in each other's lives and satisfying each other and friendship that it's as if we own each other. I can sound uncomfortable without a heaven's mindset. Heavenly, I mean, an earthly mindset is, hey, I'm my own person. You know, I'm comfortable in my own skin, you know. Give me some space. You're getting awkward, you know, that kind of thing. Well, in heaven, that's all sort of gone because there's no sin barrier anymore. Think of your best, most trusting, loyal friendship that you've ever enjoyed, and that's all of them in all of their garden variety of, of colors and personalities. And it's just, it's just perfect, a perfect mosaic of joy and bliss in relationships with each other. Guess what? In the church, we have a taste of that now, don't we? If you don't, you should. If you want to taste and see God as good, you have to enter into that kind of heavenly relationship with people where you trust each other and you let each other in. And, and you go and you enter into other people's lives and personalities and see them as important. And that is sort of bringing heaven to earth. You have to desire heaven. And you have to desire heaven more than earth. Look at the end of verse 23. It says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's desiring heaven. And then you have to desire heaven more. For that is far better. Again, Paul is arguing between what he loves in his fellowship with his converts, this church. He loves them. He loves that the gospel's on the move, that things are happening, and there's a buzz about the gospel, and there's a buzz about Paul who's going to be on trial. He's not thinking about himself. He's just enjoying his other-centeredness on earth. And when he thinks about going there and that being even better, he wants to go there more. You know, worship is the way that we enjoy heaven in a foretaste even now, isn't it? When you are spiritually minded and publicly worshiping and sort of caught up in that, that should be a high point to your existence because Christians are designed to worship. It's kind of like if you were born as a natural athlete, you know, your sweet spot in life is competing if you were born as an artist or musician, your, your joy is creating, right? It's, it's a joy where you are entering into the design of who you are. Um, worship and singing is so part and parcel with who God has made us to be. Remember, God put a new song in our hearts 
Psalm 40, um, that in Africa, in certain parts, Christians are actually called people who sing. You know, be not drunk with wine, but be filled in spirit. And out of that filling, you'll have songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It's just part of our design and enjoying heaven is to sing together. When a Christian in Africa, in those contexts where they're suffering and, and different things, when they join a church, they're not called to become members. They're called to join us in song. Do you want to join us and sing? It's like joining the choir. It's... um. Joining the music team. That's what it means to, to live in that way. At the risk of trivializing um, you know, this idea, I think it sort of puts it on, in shoe leather for me to talk this way. But have you ever met, um, and I'm sorry, uh, Pastor Mike Weber, I know you're a Yankee fan, but um, have you ever met a Boston Red Sox fan, like a real one? Ever done that? I mean, one who's been that for generations, um, you know, it's passed down. I was uh, allowed to, as a little child, I, I went to a couple... Um, games at Fenway Park and saw these fans. My older brother is a Boston Red Sox fanatic, and I actually got an autographed baseball by all of the. It was a team, their team in the '80s. You know, the Dwight Evans, the uh, who are the different ones? Jim Rice was one of the players. Carl Yastrzemski was one of the players. Wade Boggs. You remember these names? Well, anyway, everybody but Carl Yastrzemski came out of the locker area, and I had slipped past the guards, and my dad threw a ball over the fence, and I actually had all of the players except for Yaz sign the ball. I went up to Jim Rice, and he was avoiding me, and I mean, this is, you know, this is part of the fabric of who God made me to be. I didn't choose to, but I chased him to his car, took the ball, and put it in his chest, and said, sign it, and he signed it. <laughs> okay, his bodyguard right there. Weird. Anyway, but um, I'm not even a Boston Red Sox fanatic, but, um, but what I'm saying is there are fanatics who lived for a World Series, and for 86 years, they suffered the curse of the Bambino, where... You know, they had released, who's the, who's the player, Bambino, help me. Babe, Babe Ruth. Ruth, there we go, you're with me. Say so you've come back in this illustration. No, um, but Babe Ruth was, you know, released, and so then 86 years, so they win the World Series, and they sort of had that, that massive rally in 2004 and won. Well, there are fanatics who lived for that moment, whether it ever came or not. And I think that it's sort of a parable for how Christians should be. You're all in, you love Jesus, you, you wear it on your sleeve, you're unashamed, you're enjoying Jesus, and you're enjoying the heaven event that could come in the rapture. But whether it comes in our lifetime or not, you're living heaven on earth. It's the idea. So how do you get there? Well, um, quickly, verses 24 through 26, you bring your vision of heaven back down to earth. You kind of have to go there in your mindset scripturally, and then you bring it down. You bring it down by loving people. If you miss the people that are around you, guess what? You're missing the point of bringing heaven to earth because heaven really is about being with people. I mean, it's enjoying the new creation, but it's being with people. And to love people like Paul loved people, you got to see them as eternal beings. Look at this in verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary. It's more urgent on your account. He's saying, look, to be here in this circumstance, he's actually talking himself into what he thinks God's will is going to turn out to be. He says, look, actually, as I think about you and how much I love you, it really is more urgent for me not to yet go there but to stay here. 
that it's worth it. How do people become worth it to you? You know, when you're stepping on people or abusing people or being mean to people or ignoring people or hating people or whatever, you're missing out. You've got to enter into all kinds of people and their lives um, and see past um, race, status, you know, gender, and, and love people appropriately as eternal souls. C.S. Lewis, he put it this way. He said, there's no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. They're all eternal. Now remember, people are between one of two worlds, heaven and earth, or earth and hell, but they're all people, and we, we should love people. If you don't love people, you're basically a, a miserable person because life is about people. Well, you invest in people so they'll grow. Look at what Paul said. He said... Uh, Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He's bringing heaven to earth. The word remain is used twice in this verse. It's the word abide or minnow. And he said, I'm going to remain with you and, and literally I'm going to remain alongside you. I'm going to come alongside you and put my arm around you and be with you again. And he's convinced of this. Now again, Paul's not receiving special revelation about what exactly is going to happen, but he becomes convinced of what he thinks and is perceiving God's will to be. And he had to kind of talk himself off the ledge. I'm, I'm hard-pressed, I, you know, I want to go there, but you know, these people I love so much really are my mission, and it's heaven on earth, and I'm convinced now, I'm certain that I'm going to be with you again. I think it's a great example of how to search for God's will, by the way. Who should I marry? What job should I pursue? Where will I end up? Um, we don't know. We can't control God's will. But the best we can do is try to think spiritually, think biblically about things, talk ourselves clear. I mean, that's how you chose who you would marry, ultimately, right? I mean, if, if you did it sort of the most biblical way, you would sort of evaluate a, a potential marriage candidate in terms of what the Word of God says a Spirit-filled person looks like. And then you allow your heart to gravitate towards that person. You talk your way clear. You're talking to that person. You're talking to other people about that person. And you say, you know what? I think it would be a good deal to spend the rest of my life with that person. This date, I'd like it to multiply out for the next 40 or 50 years. That's great, right? I mean, but that's what Paul is doing. And that's how we do things in life. That's how we discover God's will. It really isn't a huge mystery. We just sort of try to talk our way clear about life's decisions and think biblically and then make our choice. And if it's in line with Scripture and not violating Scripture and you do it, then that was God's will. That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, you know what? I can't really control my circumstances, but I probably have a pretty good shot with this court hearing that's coming up. And so I'm coming back to you and I want to encourage you. I want to bless you. And look what he says. He wants them to progress, which means to advance. Cross-reference that with Verse 12 of chapter 1, the advancement of the gospel, same word. He wants them to grow and he wants them to be happy does that sound unspiritual to you you know it's sad that it even like come enters into my mind to say this because i've had to work through this it almost seems like it's unspiritual to live for other people's happiness but that's what paul was saying he he wants them to be happy i want to come with you i'm going to be with you i'm come alongside you because i want you to be happy i should live as a father for the happiness of my wife and the happiness of my children 
My father-in-law, when I was proposing, it was sort of this dry moment of, you know, like to ask your daughter's hand in marriage was, you just want to marry your hand? You know, I'm like, oh, great, you know. And then he, he sort of turned, turned the moment into saying, you know, I will grant your request to marry my daughter if you will live to make her happy. And there was this sort of like moment of, well, you know, is that kind of selfish, you know, to live for somebody's hat? No, and then I thought it through and thought, no, that's what it's all about. It's living to make your spouse happy. That's marriage. It's, and in the gospel, as Christians, we're living for, for other people's joy. That's heaven on earth. That's what it means to live in between, to live so that people will sing again. If they're not singing, you want to pray for them and come alongside them until they begin to sing. Look at verse 26. So that in me you may have ample cause. He's saying, look, I'm giving myself to you so that you can have hope, ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Your hearts are going to lift again because I'm coming to you. Because I'm coming to you again. I'm going to pray and uh, just pray through the applications that you have on your take-home sheet. Uh, these are some cross-references and some ways that you could meditate in community groups or Bible study, but let me just pray for you at this time. Lord, thank you for this word from you, and Lord, it's inspired testimony and transparent communication from Paul's heart to ours. Lord, he was in a rough situation and circumstance, but in any circumstance, he would have this mindset. So, Lord, it applies to us. Thank you for the foretaste of heaven that we enjoy. We do taste and see that you are good. Thank you that we're called as Christians to be people persons. And that as we love people, we'll experience heaven. I pray, God, that we can think about and talk about and meditate on heaven as it is a real place, a tangible place filled with blessings. Let us anticipate seeing the face of Jesus Christ and let us hope for heaven and be purified as 1 John 3 calls every Christian to hope in heaven and promises that if we hope in the ultimate face-to-face -face re revelation with Christ where we see Christ as gain, we're enjoying Jesus now but we see him more enjoyably and perfectly one day that that kind of hope dynamic purifies us now. That if we want Jesus while we're here and we want him there, that will help us to bring there to here. And that, Lord, if we live for eternity, but in a tangible way we're bringing heaven here, people are affected and can have the chance to live between the two worlds that we're living in, between earth and heaven instead of earth and hell. I pray, God, that if there are people here who are deceived, who don't know whether or not they're a Christian, perhaps you're awakening them, awakening them to this truth now. Perhaps people are becoming circumspect and thinking in their own hearts. I am one of those persons that probably is living between earth and hell but I want to live between earth and heaven. I pray that you would bring the illumination of your Holy Spirit into their hearts right now and that they would repent and turn from their sins and turn from your wrath and your judgment, turn from their sinful condition and say in their hearts that they believe 
on Jesus Christ as Lord, that they believe in Jesus as Savior. And I pray that they would say, Jesus, save me. Draw me to yourself. I want to live for you and have this joy now and for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for the blessed joy that comes through the gospel. Let us live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you now to stand. Um,